Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book, and I am thrilled and delighted to actually be in studio with you this morning, and also so excited to be able to wish Chai FM. A very, very happy 12th birthday, Mazel Tov, on your bat mitzvah year, and wishing you many, many, many more years to come in which you change lives, just change people's futures, and really your input and the way you've entered people's homes in the past few months especially has really, I, I don't think you understand, although I know that people have told you how much they they adore you and how much you've changed their lives and what you mean to them. Really, I want to just reiterate that and tell you what you mean to them and how much they love you and the input and the changes that you've made and how much you mean to them is just absolutely life-changing. And may you continue to do that for the next 12 years and well, well beyond that. My guest today is someone who also changes lives in very different ways. It's Lynn Joffe who is a, a wordsmith, and she is the CEO of a company by the name of Creatrix Content, which is a multilingual content storytelling agency. And Lynn is actually a born storyteller. Lynn, are you on the line? Can you hear me? Yes, I am. Oh, fabulous. Great to I'm have you. Back. Great to have you with me this morning. Muzzle to M on Thank you, thank you so, so much. And then I can hardly believe that we are actually finally chatting after months and months of planning, organizing, and speaking about this tour de force of a book that you have brought out. I, I really am, I'm, I'm quite flabbergasted that it's finally happening and we, we are actually doing this interview. And, and Muzzle Talk to you too. On, on producing this incredible book that has, has come out. And the book I'm talking about is Lynn Joffe's debut, because I'm saying debut because I, I'm anticipating that there are going to be many more after this. The Gospel According to Wanda B. Lazarus, a novel. Lynn Mazeltov on the release of this book. And, and this is launch week. The book re- really only officially launched this week. So how are you feeling? Janice, it's been a dream come true. COVID ate a lot of new publishing people, as you, as you, I'm sure you know. So it was delayed. And now, and I, I originally likened the process to about seven pregnancies. <laughs> and the publisher said, no, it's not. It's, you can't be pregnant 19 times. And it's more like, I would say, in, in fact, not to be pretentious, but it's what Michelangelo said. You know, the statue's inside. All I have to do is chip away on the outside to release the character within. So it's been a sculpting process of five years. And um, I'm a bit bowled over and a bit intimidated by it, actually. And and I have to just say also, this this book, Wonder Herself, was the product of of your your MA in creative writing that you graduated cum laude with in just 2017, which is quite recent. And 
and actually studying and being able to graduate with an MA, you know, um, so recently, and, and may I say, and, and I am also, I'm, I'm not a youngster, but to be able to go back and study and to, to accomplish an MA when you are of a certain age is really huge. So I have to congratulate you on that. But Wanda was conceived. She is the product of your creative writing MA. Tell me about that. Okay, so we're going to keep a clock on it, and I'm going to try and be as fast as possible. Yes, unfortunately, um, we are going to have to do that. And there's a lot to unpack about Wanda. So, yeah, so we are going to have to watch the clock. Um, I always knew there was not a novel in me. I've always been a writer. I've been a commercial writer. I've been a storyteller as you said, like since I came out the womb, um, I n- kind of knew that I needed the structure and discipline of of, a, of an academic degree. And I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that I only did a BA like back in the 70s when I was a child. Um, and so I applied for the MA in creative writing. We had to do a proposal, the work itself, and then a reflective essay. So they kept us very much conscious of the process that we were going through, even though we were allowed to experiment like mad. Um, so my proposal originally was this idea of exploring the myth and the anti-Semitic myth of the wandering Jew through a female character through history. And the first year that I was, so I was at varsity for two and a half years, and then the editing process took another two and a half years. But the original intention was to write what they call a picaresque novel, which I won't go into the, the Lani details of. But basically it was a character that I had kind of um, channeled without realizing the, the, the idea of the picaresque, which was actually used in Spanish, in the Spanish golden age by converso Jews who satirized their era by writing about these low life characters who never really grew, who, who, who changed the world inadvertently. And so wonder, I spent the first year writing her character. That's all I did. The second year I spent writing what she was doing because the, 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 the people in my seminar room would say, well, that's all very well that she thinks that and the voice is there, but what is she doing? So then I went all full on James Bond with it and, and, and created the episodic kind of over the top, um, almost Decameron kind of story cycle episodes. And on top of that, then I put the, uh, with the Hebraic or the Jewish root, which I, I very much came back to my, to my roots through this book. I, I juxtaposed it with the, the nine muses of antiquity, who of course are Greek myth, but that Greek myth is also about a feminine idea of having been buried and voice having been removed. So it's, it, it, it's almost a palimpsest of the character of Wanda, whose voice, I'm sure if you've read her, she, she is a voice. She is a person. She's not me. She's a character that came out of my creative brain. And in fact, I wrote my reflective essay from her point of view. Um, so I kind of know her very well, but she ain't me. Um, so wonder, wonder came about over a very long gestation period. Right. So if you're listening and you're wondering, well, wondering <laughs> about wonder, wonder is a time traveling heroine and I'm not sure if I actually wanted to gift her with a TARDIS or a DeLorean, but I think maybe she deserves one of those. She's, she's really, she's this irreverent. She's, she's quite foul mouthed. She's, she's um, really, she's incredible. And we're going to take a break now, but we really are going to unpack who Wanda is, her essence. And as you say, her voice which is really what she's all about. But I think we're going to take a breather because I think we're going to need one before we get into who Wonder really is. I love it when you read to me. 
This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back with my guest, Lynn Joffe, and we are chatting about the gospel according to Wonder B. Lazarus. And to you, my dear listener, I would like you to now open your hearts and especially your minds because we are going to take you on a journey and unpack exactly who Wanda B. Lazarus is, aren't we, Lynn? Yes, we are, Janice. I can't <laughs> wait to hear what you're going to ask me. <laughs> are, you, are you a bit nervous? Don't be nervous. I, it's, it's, I'm safe, actually very nervous. Safe space no, here. No. So, uh, l- l- in fact, if I don't answer, Wanda might answer for me, which is probably a better way. Because, because as you say, Wanda kind of wrote herself, didn't she? Well, you know, there are a lot of people who talk, there's no such thing as automatic writing. It's been a very, it's, it's not an easy process. But once, I think I must maybe give you the creation myth that began her and, and why she was historicity, historically orientated and not the present day. I originally was going to write a kind of a memoir of my adolescent days in Johannesburg and just, and explore the kind of the wandering Jew idea through my own experience. Partway through the beginning of kind of the musings of that, I, I channeled an experience that I had as a very young girl, and I'm not going to talk about names because it is fiction, where I had a Me Too moment in my teens. It was just as the Me Too movement was, was beginning. And I wrote the sentence, he had me in the shadow of the temple. And what I meant by the literal side of that was Temple Shalom in Louis Bertha Avenue and it was the youth leader and all of that's in the past. And then I thought, what if it was the temple? What if it was the temple in Jerusalem? What if, so every, every story writer is a what if. What if the wandering Jew is a woman and what if she lived in 33 AD and what if she witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus and what if she, and, and on and on and on and, and her chutzpah, which is partly me, um, her, her audacity, I think, as a female, of any race or religion, I, I chose Judaism because that's where I come from. But she was a little Jewish girl at the time of the temple who had been assaulted in some way. There's no spoiler alert by a much older man, which I think many women have had the experience of. So I just put it in the temple in Jerusalem. And then her voice came out to, to almost, uh, I can't say dictate, Janice, it's not fair. But th- there's in a way a channeling. And I think when any writer writes, in a, you write consistently the 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 magic happens the alchemy matter, matters but you must be at the desk when it happens inspiration is 1% of this the rest yes. is just sheer hard yes <laughs> absolutely so 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 wonder we start off in as you say in, in temple times and mm-hmm. and reb yossi is someone who is quite revered he's you well, know he he's and he's he's seen as this friendly and he's a friendly old man, really, but he's someone who's, he's a family friend and he's someone who's looked up to. And, um, I, I don't think I'm giving any spoilers here by, you know, saying that, that Reb Yossi, I mean, you know, take your own interpretation, but you can guess who he is. But you see, what's very interesting about Reb Yossi, and let's keep calling him that, is that in biblical times, Reb Yossi was a Jewish rabbi who was extremely enlightened he consorted with women he consorted with prostitutes and i've always i i i didn't i wasn't raised in south africa i was raised in scotland um i was party to anti-semitic jibes all my life and it always amazed me that the people who did the jibes had a god who was jewish and and it's always been so weird to me that anti-semites worship a jewish god 
or a Jewish savior, if you want to call it that. So, um, he, so she's, she's really a, a wild little foul mouthed girl, but when Rob Yossi comes over with his disciples, he includes her in the argument, he includes her in the debate, and in fact the reason that I now have, I finally decided that her name was Wanda but Lazarus, is because there was a Lazarus family in the New Testament, Lazarus who rose from the dead, as you know, which is a bit of a spoiler alert for the whole concept of the book, but he had two sisters, one was Miriam, and one was Martha. And in, if you, if you want to go back to the kind of biblical origin of this, Wanda in a way is Miriam Lazarus, but she doesn't like the name Miriam. She wants to be called Wanda. She wants a different identity. So right back in, in the beginning, you know that her name is Miriam Lazarus, but she never uses her real name. And in fact, Miriam also becomes Mary, which is very interesting because Mary Magdalene's name was not Mary back in 33 AD. So there's a kind of a, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing on history. I'm drawing on the idea of this, um, the Messiah that was not recognized by us, if you like, in yes. other words, in a Jewish sense, but he's a, he's an ally of wonder. He's a, he's a, he's, he's a, he's, he, I, I didn't even see him as such an old gentleman. I saw him as much older than her, but he in a way rescues her from her humiliation um, there's an event with the, the spy canard that spills on the floor because she didn't see it sitting there, which also references, um, a biblical moment. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of stuff within it that has uh, most of the book because I researched so much is based in either mythical past or in historical past and it's wonders interpretation, not mine. <laughs> it's Wanda's interpretation of how those events unfolded. And she's not the most reliable narrator because she doesn't concentrate a lot. She's illiterate to begin with. She's, you know, buffeted this way and that by fate. And, and eventually she takes her own destiny into her hands, you could say. But yes, she's, uh, she's a buddy of Rebiosi and, and a few other religious folk through the ages. Um, kind of equal opportunity offender in a way. <laughs> but I think that, that, that being, I mean, I'm, I'm 95 ways Lithuanian. Um, I was, I was not raised in, in an Orthodox way. I was raised in a reform way. I got married very early into the Orthodox and couldn't understand why I had to go to the back of the shul. Um, I know that that's quite a contentious issue and I've spoken to a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of research. I've spoken to rabbis. This, this young woman, has to have her own voice. So she does take on the patriarchy. She does take on the, I suppose, the gatekeepers of the patriarchy. And when she returns each time, which I'm sure we'll explore into her, she's accidentally cursed with immortality, okay? And I, I don't know if that's a spoiler alert, but that's a kind of premise. When she finishes her first episode, which is in Temple Times, she dies by mistake. She's cursed by mistake. And when she returns each time, because of this curse, which people who know, understand the, the whole anti-Semitism thing was that he killed Jesus, right? Um, I, I've always been pained by that. Um, so in a way, it's it's a critique, but a very satirical critique. I hope it's funny. Janice, did you laugh? It is, it, I did laugh. I did laugh. I love that, that Reb Yossi, I mean, you've, you've just referred to him as Reb Yossi and his disciples, but in the book, you actually refer to them as his chevra. Um, which, which I love. I, th I think that that's great. But, but let's talk about her, her accidental, well, you say it's a curse of, of, of coming back all the time. And she, she lands up in this, well, first she's quite confused because she lands up in this realm, which, which you refer to as the pleroma. And mm -hmm. she finds herself amongst, amongst these muses, which she's actually just learnt about from her Greek lover. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so she recognizes who they are, which is which is quite useful because that she's just learnt about them. So otherwise she wouldn't have known who they were. And she Correct. she recognizes who they are, and she wants to befriend them. And she decides she wants to become one of them. But they're not really a very nice bunch. And, um, which I found to be, and, and she obviously keeps returning there after each life. And she really, you know, it, it, I found it to be quite an interesting social commentary, really, because mm-hmm. as much as Wanda is this wild child, as you call her, and she, she doesn't really care that she doesn't fit in anywhere. And she's really mm-hmm. her own person. She's very independent. But she really does desperately want to belong because she wants to be part of their little clique. Although she obviously wants her own gift because they each have their own gift. She only really, there's only one of them that really tries to be friend or tries to actually be remotely nice to her. The rest of them are, mm. are really quite nasty cows, to be very honest. <laughs> they're, they're the mean girls. Um, but it, it really is a social commentary on, on basically every aspect because in every area of, of community, society, there are these little cliques and little gatherings where certain people or certain types of people are excluded. And I don't know whether that was intentional, but that's how it comes across. And it comes across time and time again, every time she turns up there. I, th- I think that's very insightful, Janice, I, because I worked very hard. It, it was very hard work to make it look so easy, as I think Dolly Parton once said of her look and feel. Um, to Because originally... They were, you know, the muses are a chorus and they all speak in one voice and you never know who's who. And in fact, to have remembered Cleo and Kale, Irato and all the girls, because in any history, the women's names get lost. Um, I don't think any person in their right mind could actually remember more than one or two muses. And it's probably because of the Clio Awards that are named after an advertising awards ceremony. Right. So it took me, it took me, the, it took me a very long time to the, the, I don't want to be so overt because I don't want to, to, to turn the audience off on the idea that we are all captured by the patriarchy. And so if down on earth in the real world, she's um, striding through the ages and making the changes and being a little bit of a um, kind of right place, wrong time. When she's in the Pleroma, she's with so-called her her higher powers, if you want to call them that. And they turn out to be captured by Apollo. So, so even the women, <laughs> and that, and I mean, this does happen in life that you, you, you find your click and then suddenly you're on the outside. I, I sometimes feel on the outside being a Jewish person with Jewish people, particularly the very religious because I'm not good enough or religious enough or head covered enough for my people. But in my creative process, it's been very interesting because when you, when you raise your own game, if you like, one thinks that you will find like-minded and you do but you also find a lot of critique and so if this very bright creative younger woman comes into a clique of mean girls who have their talents but they've lost them they have their mojo but they can't really find it they've become lazy they've become used to being kept women to make it really overt they don't have to work they don't really have to do anything so it's a kind of satirical 
you talked about the heroine's journey. The heroine's journey to me, and I've done a lot of studying on this, is different from the hero's journey. But the hero's journey disses the heroine's journey because people like Joseph Campbell told us, don't worry, girls, you don't have to go on a journey because you're already there. I'm paraphrasing. Right. Um, so we are we are lulled into a false, not we, the feminine yes. is perhaps at times lulled into a sense of you'll be taken care of and you just, just as long as you obey the rules, you're okay. So I had to take all nine of these muses and that's why there are 11 chapters because they're not, there's a muse between each chapter and then the 10th muse, little spoiler alert, and you'll discover how that works later. So each of them had to have an arena of, um, of, of, of intensity, if you like, but they've lost it. So, so it's, it's a very bathotic, pathetic, is that the word, when, when it's an anticlimax. A lot of this is, is built up to actually become silly or trivial. Um, they gamble. These muses gamble a different, and they take her gifts and they abuse them. They trivialize them. I think any woman who's ever worked or, or, or been in the world knows that feeling. So I wanted to elicit um, a sense of sympathy for her as well, because she's actually not always so sympathetic. But the muses, in a sense, are threatened by her. I was just going to say, so that they behave like that because they are threatened by her. Well, have you ever been in that situation, Jan? Um, well, yes, Lynn, I think we all have. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I didn't want it, as I said, I didn't, I, I, I have to say to, to the audience out there that I finished my MA, cum laude and all of that, and then fortunately and beshirtedly, um, Alison Lowry, who in fact had edited my great uncle Gus Sarin's book on the Jews of South Africa some 30 years ago, came into my destiny and we cracked the book open again. I had what I call a novel whisperer. We developed this book. We developed and developed and developed. And I, 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 I absolutely laudate the bits experience, but it took, it took an extra, it's almost like I did a doctorate on top of my MA. She is a very different type of attempt to become a muse. And the gospel according to Wanda B. Lazarus really is something very different that's hit our bookshelves. And you'll see, if you look at the cover of the book, when you, go into a bookshop. It's been endorsed by Stephen Fry. And if you know Stephen Fry, I mean, getting an endorsement by him is really something quite special. And how he describes Wanda is he said that just what the world needs now, a novel charged with music, energy, bounce, juice, and joy. So he obviously thoroughly enjoyed the book. And if Stephen Fry enjoyed it, I mean, who are we to not enjoy it? That's really a heck of an endorsement. And Lynn now refers to Stephen Fry as her fairy godfather. So I think that's something quite special. And I think they, now I am going to ask Lynn, but I think they share quite a special friendship now and they are in contact. So he thoroughly enjoyed that. And if you don't know who Stephen Fry is, look him up. He is an actor, a comedian and a writer. He is quite well known. He is currently residing in the UK, and he is really, he's an incredible man. He's also written, he is currently going through um, Greek mythology and rewriting that. We unfortunately don't seem to have Lynn back at the moment, but I think we are still trying, and I hope that we will be able to get her back shortly. Um, if you do manage to get your hands on the book, it is available everywhere, um, good bookshops online. There's a lot of Yiddish terminology in the book. It's very cleverly made use of. There's a lot of Yiddish alliteration um, used in the book. It's incredibly clever. And 
wonder evolves through this book. And um, from temple times, you'll see she goes right through and through Jewish times, she remains, she, she, as much as she wants to escape from her past and from her history and where she's come from, you'll see that she still makes use of all of her historic um, upbringing and from where she's come from. She never actually forgets her roots. She still maintains all of what she's learned from her childhood and from her past. So that actually is quite interesting, as much as a wild child as she is, and I think that happens quite a lot um, when when our and um, we seem to find that we often may stray quite far, but we do remember where we come from and we remember our roots. We're going to take a break now. Hopefully we'll have Lynn back after that. I love it when you this is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. What I was mentioning while you were trying, you were trying to get back online, was that no matter how much one just strays from her roots, from her temple childhood, from her past, she she still maintains a lot of that Yiddish and Hebraic terminology in her life. There's a lot of that Yiddish alliteration that you use. And there's a lot of that. She, she uses a lot of, of Jewish terminology. There's a lot of Jewish speech um, thrown in there. I, I just want to know, if someone's reading the book but they don't have a Jewish background, are they going to know what's going on? Are they going to understand what's happening? We, we, me and Wanda, we've tried to form a quite a bit. Sorry, a bit of feedback. I don't know if you guys can hear myself three times. You are um, breaking up a bit, but carry on. We can hear you. Okay. When she started to write herself, when I started to write her, the, the Yiddishisms, I almost analogized with something like a clockwork orange where the author made up his own words. He made up his own words. So boy chick was uh, a doll chick or whatever it may have been. So I, I don't think you have to be Jewish, but it does sort of help. But any reader who's, you know, there's nothing, for example, if you don't know what a shaitl is, I've put it into context to say, um, you know, um, in, in a hair kind of sense or in a tickle kind of sense to actually make sure that people knew it was a headscarf or a wig or whatever. So I don't think you have to look up things up in dictionaries, but it does have a little extra oomph if you've grown up or, or have, have a Jewish history. I mean, people could say, why is she speaking Yiddish in 33 AD? Well, her anachronisms, remember, she's writing from the present day. So she's actually telling her story of 2000 years from present. So there are certain words that, that, that only Yiddish expresses. And remember, she goes through 11 different um, incarnations into 11 different epochs. Um, how can she speak fluent Palmyrin, for example, if she can't? And sometimes I, I satirize it and sometimes she misunderstands it. But um, I, I found that it worked for the character to have a lot of news which is just her questioning process. You know, but once you've seen it for the third time, new does mean what? Um, yes. or, or, uh, or the number of things that new can mean. So um, I've tried to keep it. Um, it is jargony for her, but her jargon is consistent. So, for example, I never, she never says the F-bomb. She uses yes, the word she, fig. Yes, she does. And if you see it for the first time, you know what it stands for. Um, but you will then accept that variations of the word fig mean the f-bomb but we're not swearing she never swears other people do 
She also has different words for the parts of her body that, um, you know, that are yes. euphemistic for, for who she is. So it's, it's a kind of a, a, a carnival of linguistic fun. Um, that one can read without necessarily looking. You know, a, f- a friend of mine said the other day she didn't know what the word frisson was. So look up frisson, but it's not Yiddish. Yes, that, that wasn't that wasn't part of her jargon, really. No, it wasn't. So, but and, yes, and, uh, it, it does help. You don't have to be Jewish, but it does help because of the history that we have with with that language. Right. Mm. And as you say, she she maintains her jargon and she maintains her own way of speaking right through. Yeah all the lives that she evolves through. And I want to mention that, that involvement in the way she evolves. She doesn't seem to, to age. You don't really give her an age. I mean, we assume she's, she's young and I think everyone will assume their own, they'll picture her in a certain way, but 100%. she comes back all, all the time. She seems to make the same mistakes in different ways. There's, there's some kind of karmic cycle going on there. Because she comes back and she's making this journey and, and in each of her lives she's repeating those same errors all the time. So I, I'm thinking there's karma going on here. Absolutely. And, and, and because, because of the varsity background was, because of the, I had to be absolutely sure of what I was doing. There's a concept called eternal return. The eternal return of the same. It actually sort of comes out of Nietzsche, but it, it's, it's ancient, ancient cyclical, um, which again, which is why I say the hero's journey, the hero might go through a straight line, but the heroine or the feminine goes through cycles. It's almost labyrinthine. And in fact, wh- when I was, I wrote about 38, 48 chapters before I chose the 11 because they, they needed to kind of be st- uh, paced, if you like, through history. And I, I could see the same things occurring over and over and over. And I think that that's because I had to keep the um, transformation process, when I wrote it as a novel, there has to be a transcendence of the character right to the end. So I, I, I kind of bumped it back and bumped it back until she could learn how her own voice works. And be, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit undiscovered, but she's a musician. It's very important to mention. She was um, force-fed music by her mother, which, of course, has nothing to do with my own mother. Um, and she then rejects her mother's music to find her own music. She finds it through Carter Phyllis in, in, in the very first chapters. And each time there's a tiny little learning process that happens with the musical instruments she engages with, with the way she returns them to the pleroma, with the way that she then comes back again. At some point, for example, she becomes literate in, in the Middle Ages. She learns how to help Roger of Wendover with his illuminated manuscript, in which is the myth of the wandering Jew that was misascribed all those centuries ago. So she does come to awareness, but she and it's part of the picaresque that nothing changes, nothing changes. Yes. So, so in a way, I don't want to bash people over the head with it, but the eternal return of the same is very deep, deeply philosophical kind of underpinning of why she keeps making the same mistakes over and over. Right, right. We're going, so to, take, we're going to take a, a quick break again. And believe it or not, after that, it's basically time to just wrap this up, unfortunately. But let's take a break. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my guest, Lynn Joffe, and we have been talking about her debut novel, The Gospel, According to Wonder B. Lazarus. And Lynn, while we were trying to get you back on air earlier, I was telling um, my listeners about your fairy godfather. 
Tell me, tell me as briefly as you can how it came about that Stephen Fry endorses your Um I reached out to him. I spent about five hours composing an email that didn't gush, that didn't fangirl. I, it's a very little known fact that Stephen Fry, in fact, is Jewish. His um, ancestry is Hungarian on his mother's side, and it was kind of um, quite secret for a while with him. But I knew this. Um, I, ha- I was completely prepared. I had the extracts, the examiner report, the website, um, everything that I had. I had Wanda's reflective essay, which explains it because he's quite academic. Um, and I reached out to him. No, there's a little kind of trick that says ask, believe, receive. I think it was time. I think I was ready. I think the book was ready. And within 12 hours, he responded with, and I mean, I, I'm so overjoyed, I can't speak. We've, we've built up an email relationship. Um, he's the most wonderful, generous, um, incredible human on the planet at the moment. And I'm so glad people know who he is because it, it, it does give a bit of shine to the book. It um, it, it, does. It's in a sense, it's a confirmation more than in motivation because I have believed in it. And to have someone of his stature believe in it too is is just amazing, amazing. It really is incredible, and um, he's he's I mean he's highly respected in in many many circles, and mm-hmm. I mean he's he's an incredible guy. He really is, and just and also an, an all round lovely person. But you see, without, without also, all the accolades, I, the accolades, I mean, yeah. just a lovely guy. <laughs> I think if I may add, I think what he did was he got it. I think that you know some people might read this and go, "What the hell is this?" Um, if you get it. He got it academically. He got it creatively. It's a very daring book. Um, he's a very daring. He, he, he's so I call him now my fairy godfather. Yes, and, and he is. And he he sent me a message yesterday to say the muzzlest of tovs. He, oh, he, he said, sweet. and it's just you know to, to be to, to have that kind of um, shine as a first time South African is just. Uh, I still can't, but I have to have to pinch myself. And you, Janice, um, you know, he he might be a world famous man, but you know the fact that Alison Lowry found that she could spend three years with me, the fact that Colleen saw it to be publishable, the fact that you have me on your show, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to all of you, and grateful to the readers out there who who I hope will enjoy and and see some things in a new light. And I think this is just the beginning, Lynn. So um, I think you're on the the. The lower rung of a very long um, and successful, and I think your your light is going to shine for a very very long time to come. So I think this is just the start. Well, thank you, Judge. And I just want to say also to to listeners out there, um, I'm going to out myself. I turned 60 last June. I went back to varsity at 55. I feel I feel myself like a little bit of a teenager, but a teenager with a hell of a lot of experience. It's never, ever, ever too late. If you if you follow your dream, if you follow your passion, and, and I want to inspire people to 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 know that I couldn't have written this book at thirty or forty. And I think so much. Thank of, you. Of life. I think yeah, that's I, a very I, vital, vital, and important message to leave us with. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Lynn Joffe for taking the time to spend with me this morning. And I really do appreciate it. Best of luck with Wanda. Can I do a little quick shout out of where you can get the book? I unfortunately don't have time. I did let everyone know it's available in all great bookshops and online. And I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there for you, my darling, darling listener. Remember, wear a mask, 
take care of each other and read a book.